Good morning. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Today is the day I basically hand my show over to everyone else. I got the governor joining me uh, the next hour at uh, 10 o'clock. Uh, I've got Andy Pudzer, the, uh, the the president's Commerce Secretary nominee. He's the head of what Carl's and Hardy's. He joins me at 1030. Matt Whitaker, the former acting attorney general. He joins me at 1130 today. We, he, I don't like to do that many interviews, but the president is coming to town and everybody wanted to get on this evening. I'm going to interview Kellyanne Conway and we'll bring you that tomorrow. Um, we got a lot of interviews. I, I, I would much prefer to spend time with you guys uh, than talk to other people. But, you know, I'm going to ask the governor about the Board of Pardon and Paroles. I have decided to ambush him with that question uh, and and make sure that, that we get an answer on that. And we'll get back into that issue as well. Right now, I want to begin with something. I, I And I, I'm, I can't show you the picture. Um, I, I, I can't show you the graph. I put it up on Instagram. You should all follow me on Instagram. Instagram is the one place where I really don't get very political. Like, we put up clips from the show, but uh, we, we try to make them as nonpartisan or, or bipartisan as possible. But I put up this graph on Instagram, and it is t- the New York Times graph of the cases uh, that are out there, the, the the rise in COVID-19 cases. Now, the graph in and of itself doesn't show you what it should show you because it shows you the seven-day trend and the spiking cases, but it doesn't show you increased testing. It doesn't show you that most of the people getting them now are are younger. It doesn't show you that the death rates are declining. But, but what I did is I took that graph that shows the spike and I labeled. So in, in the beginning of April, you see the small business owner protests where the media said the virus was going to spread. And then you see where the states actually began reopening at the end of April, beginning of May. And what you see is there's a downward trend from the beginning of April when those protests started till the end of May, there's a downward trend. And then you have Memorial Day there uh, towards the end of May. And then you have the protests and the riots at the beginning of June, the the end of May, beginning of June. And then you begin to have this upward increase. And then you have the pride rallies that happened in Dallas and Chicago and the like, where hundreds to thousands of people showed up uh, not wearing masks. And what you see after the protests and the riots really is is you see this escalation in, in virus cases. You see it begin to spike. And the media for the longest time said that the protests had nothing to do with it. The pride rallies had nothing to do with it. And the media that wanted to blame the small business owners or Brian Kemp or Ron DeSantis or the reopening, they didn't want to blame the protesters. They didn't want to blame the rioters. They didn't want to blame the pride marchers. They they wanted to blame everybody but them. Conservatives wanted to blame the protesters and the rioters. A lot of people wanted to blame the president. Some people wanted to blame Andrew Cuomo. I I, I want to address this for you in, in a variety of ways this morning. Who do you blame for the spread of the virus? You know who you blame for the spread of the virus? I I want to I want to I want to look at this chart while I talk to you real quick. Do you blame the small business owners? Do you blame the governors? Do you blame the president? Do you blame the rioters? Do you blame the protesters? Every one of you who is listening right now has a a politician, a person, or a class of people that you're blaming for the rise of reported cases in this country. And who you blame says more about you and your politics than what's actually going on. 
it is notable that there are more people interested in blaming others for the spread of the virus as opposed to trying to find a way to stop the virus from spreading. I'll tell you who to blame for the spread of the virus. You and me and our neighbors. No politician can keep people from being selfish and irresponsible unless they lock them all in their home. You know, the data is actually very good. If, if we stop looking at it at a partisan level, and the media wants to look at it at a partisan level, like how many of you heard record cases in Florida, all-time number of deaths in Florida? Uh, do you know per capita, uh, Florida it doesn't rank in the top five for deaths per state? Georgia right now, the, the more than half the cases are below the age of 40. Uh, deaths are only 2.4% right now in Georgia. That's actually down from 4%. 16% of hospitalizations are uh, people under the age of 40, and they're recoverable. Maybe it's time to stop blaming people and trying to actually find a solution. The, the media is fixated on, on blaming Ron DeSantis for reopening the state. You know what? Uh, it, it doesn't matter that a governor reopens the state. We don't blame governors during flu season for the flu spreading because they let the state be reopened. Now, the COVID-19 is more dangerous than the flu. It spreads easier than the flu. It kills more people than the flu. It is more contagious than the flu. It overwhelms hospitals more than the flu. In, in the last flu season, 35,000 people died. We're over 100,000 people, 150,000 people dead. Uh, uh, in in not even half well it's slightly it, basically half a year now the virus is worse than the flu but it doesn't matter you, you don't blame a politician for the flu spreading you shouldn't blame a politician for a virus spreading and by the way it, it's it's past time to stop blaming china for the virus spreading in the united states right now the virus is spreading because people aren't doing what they're supposed to do how many experts out there have told you uh keep socially distance Avoid crowds, don't go inside to crowded places, stay home if you can and wear a mask. And none of you people want to do it. I shouldn't say it that broadly. Some of you are doing it, but a lot of people don't want to do it. A lot of people don't want to take personal responsibility. And, and see, what's happened now is that a lot of conservatives have decided that they would rather prioritize individual liberty than social responsibility. A lot of liberals have decided that they would rather prioritize social responsibility rather than individual liberty. Now, both sides do that, except they've gone to extremes now. You can't tell me what to do. You can't make me wear a mask on one side. And on the other side, you can't leave your house. You're not allowed to go to work anymore. As opposed to meeting in the middle with, we got a virus. Let's deal with it. A virus is not political. This virus doesn't care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or a conservative or a liberal or an atheist or, or Jewish or Buddhist or Christian. It does not care. It mostly cares about whether you're young or you're old, and right now it's transmitting e easily through young people who are eventually going to spread it to old people. And you know, this virus is actually remarkably easy to stop. Other countries have managed to stop it. And do you know how they did it? No, they didn't keep everybody locked inside. They let people go out. But they upped their cleaning. They enforced social distancing. They enforced mask wearing. They made sure people had access to hand sanitizer and could wash their hands. 
And in this country, everybody's squabbling with each other. Everybody's fighting. It's the president's fault. It, it is not the president's fault. You know, the president shut down travel to China in January, and most of the people blaming the president now accused him as a ra- for being a racist then. And they said, oh, well, he should have shut down travel to Europe. Well, then he did shut down travel to Europe. And you said, oh, he's not shutting down travel to the EU, to England because of his golf course. It's, it's self-interested. And he shut down travel to England. Oh, well, he should have done it sh- sooner. For some people, there's no way the president could win. There are things the president should have done. The president should have been out there aggressively when the data changed on masks, telling people to wear a mask as opposed to digging in his heels because a lot of people aren't wearing a mask because the president ridiculed the idea. By the way, the data changed in February. They were telling people not to wear a mask. I think the media has, has to, to own up to the fact that it too was telling people not to wear a mask because the data wasn't there and it was just parroting what the experts said and the experts turned out to be wrong. I don't blame people for wanting to go on the internet and find experts to tell them what they want to hear, except I do because you're going and finding crackpot scientists. Do you know every time I tell people what the research is on masks right now and how it's changed, I get people who send me emails from fringe scientists who are globally discredited, who tell them that masks don't work, aren't effective, and pedal retracted research. And these people, you know why they're going to find those scientists? Because they want to be told exactly what they want to hear. I get texts from friends of mine who they don't care what the science says. They just want to hear what they already believe. They want to be placated in what they already believe. Do you know there are scientists out there who believe the moon landing was fake? There are scientists out there who believe boys can become girls and girls can become boys. There are scientists out there who say that uh, vaccines really do trigger autism. None of them are widely credited. None of them are noted. But if you believe those things, you will believe those scientists because it's not that the scientists are right. It's that they're telling you what you want to hear. And that's the same case here with this virus. You are fixated on the voices that tell you exactly what you thought because you read it on the Internet. And half of you believe the virus is is a Democratic conspiracy to wipe out the president. No, you know, the president himself has mishandled part of this. He did a lot of things right. He said a lot of things wrong. But who the hell cares at this point? We've got a virus spreading around the country and people are still exercising blame as opposed to exercising precaution. People are more interested in blaming the politician they hate than actually doing what they can to stop the virus. Nobody wants responsibility anymore. The same people who don't believe that wearing masks will solve things are the people who believe that Wayfair is engaged in human trafficking by selling cabinets because they read it on the internet. Take some responsibility for yourself. Stop looking to Washington, D.C. Stop looking. Those of you on the left who are blaming Donald Trump right now, why don't you stay home? so that you're not contributing to the viral spread. And if you go out, wash your hands and socially distance and put on a mask and you can be a smug liberal and blame Donald Trump and know that you're not contributing to the virus. You know, the the thing that gets me is, you know, if the president could contain the virus, he would probably win re-election because the economy would rebound. And you've got the the president's supporters, some of the most vocal people against wearing masks and doing what needs to be done to stop the spread of the virus. It is the president's supporters who are causing him to lose. You don't want Joe Biden to get elected? Well, then stop spreading the virus. It's not hard, but everybody would rather be engaged in the blame game right now. You know who to blame? Us. 
the people of the United States have become selfish and petty and embittered, and we don't love our neighbor. We hate our neighbor unless they agree with everything we say. In fact, our neighbors, we've constructed them online on places like Facebook and Twitter where we find the people who agree with everything we say, even if we don't know them, even if they wouldn't come water our flowers if we were in the hospital because they live halfway around the country. But by God, they believe everything I say, and their memes are hilarious. They're my neighbor, not the guy next door whose name I don't know because he's got a sign of someone in, in his yard who's candidacy I hate. You know, there's a virus spreading. It's wrecking the economy. Potentially, it's going to keep our kids from going back to school. And it's actually easily beaten. Slovenia has done it. Taiwan has done it. Singapore has done it. South Korea has done it. Japan has done it. They've all done the same thing. Every one of the countries, Germany now, has moved on. They've all done the same thing. They're making sure that people avoid large crowds. People wear masks. People wash hands. They have access to hand sanitizer. They're keeping their distance from each other right now, except in small groups. And they're all getting back to work. Meanwhile, we're still fighting over who's to blame. At some point, you got to stop worrying about the blame game and worry about the cure game. And the cure game is actually not hard. We don't have a vaccine. We're not going to have a vaccine in the next year. We're not. We'll have treatments to alleviate a lot of the symptoms. We're already getting those, but we're not going to have a cure in the next year. We're going to be dealing with this for the next year. The question is, are you going to blame someone or are you going to do your part? Are you going to hate the politician who you think hasn't done enough? Or are you going to recognize that a lot of people around you, maybe yourself included, haven't actually done enough? How many of you are going to a local grocery store and you're all clustered together looking for that one item on the grocery shelf? I'm, I'm, I'm fed up with everyone playing the blame game at this point. I, I'll tell you what, we've got 50 governors, all of whom are trying to deal with a virus where there is no cure, there is no vaccine. The evidence from the, the scholars has been mixed. The evidence has changed. The science has changed. The data has changed. They're doing their best to keep up with it, and they got a bunch of people who are either demanding that they shut their entire state down and wreck the economy or let everyone out as if nothing has changed and there is no virus, and they're trying to balance the two to keep people safe, to keep businesses going, to keep the economy alive, I, I think you should probably exercise some grace and prayer for all 50 governors out there and the mayor of the District of Columbia and the president of the United States, all of whom are trying to solve something with a virus we know very little about where the data has changed every month. We've advanced the science on it. We've made great progress on it. We have no cure on it. And they're doing the best they can with a bunch of people who read on the internet that a company is engaged in human trafficking and actually believe it. It is really hard for a governor to govern stupid people. And there are a lot of stupid people out there right now who would rather believe the conspiracy on the internet than their lying eyes of the stuff they see out there in reality. So maybe we should be exercising a little bit of grace and maybe we should stop trying to find someone to blame for the virus and maybe actually do what all these other countries are doing that have actually moved beyond the virus and gone back to normal and gotten their kids back in school. It's not that hard if you just stop squabbling with each other and blaming the president or blaming the Democrat you hate. There are some who do deserve some criticism, like Andrew Cuomo, and I'll get into that when we come back. But maybe, just maybe, we should do the whole thing of love your neighbor and do to others as you would have them do to you. You you wouldn't want to spread the flu. So why would you want to spread this virus? You wouldn't blame a politician if you got the flu. So why should you blame a politician if you get this virus? It's not that hard. People just need to grow up and 
exercise some responsibility as opposed to saying, hey, I'm going to let Washington make me be responsible. I don't Washington to, don't want Washington to make me be responsible. I don't want my governor to have to make me be responsible because then that grows the power of the state, and I would much prefer the state leave me alone. And the way to get the state to leave me alone is to exercise some of my own responsibility and do what all the experts have been telling us to do. Wash your hands, keep your distance, wear a mask. Don't go in crowds if you can avoid it. It's really not that hard unless you want to make it hard. You know, I, I think that we do, I'm very serious about this, we, we owe an obligation to all 50 governors and the president to show them some level of grace in how they've handled the virus, where the data has changed repeatedly, where the expert advice has changed repeatedly, where the, where the virus has spread in, in erratic ways. I think we, we owe Gavin Newsom a, a level of grace when he has decided that there are some parts of the state that got to be shut down. I, I think there is some level of grace where we got to exercise with Greg Abbott where he wants people in his state to wear masks. I think we've got to exercise some level of grace with Ron DeSantis, who thinks that it, it is possible to reopen his economy uh, while protecting senior citizens. You know, Ron DeSantis was protecting senior citizens in nursing homes while Andrew Cuomo was sending sick patients back to nursing homes who tested positive for the virus. I think that Andrew Cuomo deserves some serious level of criticism, though. Andrew Cuomo, early on, was dealing with the mayor of New York and a health committee in New York that was telling people to go out and party, that the virus wasn't spreading, even though it was. Uh, and there were a lot of mistakes made in New York early on. And I think we got to exercise some grace for them as well. But uh, the point came in New York City where it was obvious what was going on, and they still doubled down, couldn't imagine that uh, they were making mistakes. And Andrew Cuomo is now doing a victory lap, having killed thousands of senior citizens in New York City uh, by doing things well past the time we knew he shouldn't have done those things. In hindsight, we will see that there are some people who behave very badly. Uh, Jake Tapper has a thread up uh, from CNN. Jake Tapper, New York State has lost more than 32,000 lives to COVID-19. So while it's great that the numbers have gone down, it's perplexing to see crowing, uh, Andrew Cuomo going on Jimmy Fallon, et cetera. No other state has lost as many lives, not even close. New Jersey's next with 17,000 lives. Yes, this has been a major challenge for every leader, but New York's leaders do not have a successful story to tell. It's been about missteps and late action from April, how delays and unheeded warnings hindered New York's virus fight. From April, Seattle's leaders let scientists take the lead. New York's did not. There have been institutional failures of government from the White House on down. Empirically, New York is one of the biggest failures in the U.S. From May, showing the, the skyrocketing cases in New York. Then there's the nursing home disaster in New York. Grieving families say the governor's order on nursing home cost their lives. There are many New York citizens put off by the crowing and the poster sales. It's great that the number have gone down, and I hope to God they stay there, but New York's leaders were late and made many mistakes. It's been an absolute tragedy, and now the governor is selling a PR poster. The New York Matt 
New York Magazine just says, while the poster does include Cuomo's three daughters, criticism of the president, and multiple quirky asides, it does not include the references to now more than 32,000 New Yorkers who lost their lives to the viruses. To the virus, Cuomo's failures to protect nursing home residents in the state, his petty and counterproductive rivalry with the New York mayor, Bill de Blasio, or his initial and costly delay trusting public health experts. He's absolutely right on that. That's Jake Tapper from CNN pointing all that out. And even initially, I think the governor of New York deserves some level of grace. But ultimately, but ultimately, the man didn't listen to the experts either. And he gets softball interviews from Chris Cuomo on CNN, goes on Jimmy Fallon and gets attaboys. And he directly led to the deaths of thousands of New Yorkers by his irresponsible actions. No other governor in this state has seen so many people die on their watch from this virus. The left would rather blame the president for that. He was the one who had the police power in the state of New York. The phone number here, if you want to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You know, uh, increasingly, so let, let me go back to Barry Weiss yesterday. I, I, I read her letter on air. She has resigned from the New York Times. Most of you have no idea who this woman is. She's an editor and writer at the New York Times who is not a conservative. She actually is a liberal. She is progressive. Uh, and uh, But she was open to covering conservatism fairly. And she noted that it is increasingly hard to do that. She, a Jewish woman, was being referred to regularly as a Nazi in the Slack chats by uh, fellow writers at the New York Times for daring to publish uh, controversial ideas from the right that really aren't controversial to any conservative. Cancel culture is a thing, and the only people who deny it is a thing are the people who are engaged in cancel culture. Nick Cannon uh, has been canceled. He is a uh, black actor and comedian. Uh, he was on uh, what the uh, the mask singer or whatever, um, and he has been canceled for some statements. And I want to talk about those, and, and, and I preference the Barry Weiss thing. Because uh, what I'm about to say is something that will offend some people on the left. And it shouldn't offend anyone. It is a fair and accurate statement of what is going on. But you're not allowed to say these things. Uh, I have built this uh, network of stations that syndicate this radio program very deliberately and slowly over time uh, with a relationship with advertisers that would make it very difficult for uh, anyone to come after me so that I can be a little more blunt than some people these days. Uh, I, I believe in responsibility and, and believe in being nice, but I also believe you got to say some things, but you got to listen to this before I talk about it. This is Nick Cannon talking about white people and Jews. This is a man who had a, a career and, and will have a career. He will be back. You will see him, and uh, he may apologize publicly, but probably privately, not really change his thinking on this. Uh, but listen to this. Then let's go. Let's let's go to what it really is. Then when we talk about the power of melanated people, when we talk mm -hmm. about who we really are as guys, and, and understanding right. that our melanin is so power, and it connects us in a way that the reason why they fear black, the reason why they fear is because they the lack that they have of it. So then when you see what you know, Doctor uh, Francis C. Wellesley talked about is that 
fear and that 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 uh, just genetic that, annihilation deficiency mm-hmm. of when you have a person that has has the lack of pigment, the right. lack of melanin, right. that they know that they will be annihilated. So therefore, however they got the power, they 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 have the lack of compassion. Mm-hmm. That mel- melanin comes with compassion. Melanin comes with soul. That mm-hmm. we call it. We call it soul. We soul brothers and sisters. That's the melanin that connects us. Right. So the people that don't have it have are are a little and I'm, I'm gonna say this carefully <laughs> are a little less and 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 where the term actually comes from because i'm bringing it all the way back around okay. to, to minister farrakhan to where they may not have the compassion or the the when they were sent to the mountains of caucasus when they when they didn't have the power of the sun that was that the sun then started to deteriorate mm-hmm. them so then they're acting out of fear they're acting out of low self-esteem they're acting out of a, a deficiency mm-hmm. so therefore the only way that they can act is evil the only way they can they, they have to rob steal rape kill and fight or flight okay. in, or, in order to survive exactly so then these people who didn't have what we had and when i say we i speak of the mm-hmm. melanated people right they had melanated people they had to be barbaric they had because they're in these nordic mountains they're in these rough uh torrential environments mm. so they they're acting as animals right so they're the ones that are actually closer to animals they're the ones that are actually the true savages and then they built up such this this i don't want to say warrior but they built up such this 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 conquering mm-hmm. uh barbaric mentality um, that is racism. That is racism. Uh, he, he's been fired for his anti-Semitic comments. He went after the Jews as well, quoting Farrakhan. He wasn't, wasn't fired for his comments about white people. I, I, I got a question. Um, so the woman who authored the 1619 project, when she was in college, she wrote a letter to the editor talking about how, uh, Africans actually came to the new world and discovered the new world uh, before the Europeans did. And the proof was in the pyramids in Mexico. And it it showed what a collaborative enterprise uh, black people were. I can hear her mythology and what Nick Cannon was saying. And I wonder if she would privately agree with him. I I, I, got to wonder that given her statements in college. And, and by the way, I, I do think you can take someone's statements in college uh, when they when they use their degree and they get a job at the New York Times and they decide to rewrite American history. Uh, I, I wonder if she agrees with him. Regardless, though, uh, let's take him. Uh, there are people who believe this, and this is as racist as the stuff that the KKK would say about black people. And it is very interesting that he has been canceled by CBS Viacom, fired, uh, not for that, but for his incendiary statements on Jews. And it is remarkable that people are out there saying, well, he's got free speech. He's got free speech. Well, wait wait a second. Wait a second. Uh, y'all are the people canceling others and saying cancel culture doesn't exist. Well, now Nick Cannon is getting canceled. But here's the remarkable thing about all of this. Uh, the people who are defending him. The people who believe that that white people are bad and racist and, and evil 
and what he said is legitimate. Uh, are we going to judge people by the color of their skin or by the content of their character? I mean, there's there's the question. And people are turning this on Nick Cannon and saying, well, this is just free speech. I thought, I thought you people supported free speech. Yeah, I totally support free speech. I totally support free speech. And his statements about white people have nothing to do with his job. They are revealing his mindset. But cancel culture isn't a one-way street. If you're going to go out and start canceling people whose views you do not like on the right, guess what? People on the right are going to turn around and try to cancel you. And and Nick Cannon gave them ammunition. I mean, what Nick Cannon said is, is wrong and racist. It has nothing to do with his job on TV. What is remarkable, though, is how so often those views get a pass. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar actually is writing about this, uh, the anti-Semitism in sports these days. Uh, The number of people out there who say openly anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish things, and and they get a pass. You couldn't say those things about black people or uh, Muslims, but about Jews, you get a pass. And the, the issue here is the double standard. You can either say this stuff about everyone or you can say it about no one. My personal opinion is that Nick Cannon should not be fired for his offensive statements. I I disagree with cancel culture. I do not think his statements have any bearing on the job he was doing. He had those views, clearly had those views while he was doing his job. And no one knew those views and no one cared. And I don't think he should be canceled for his views. I don't think people should be driven from their jobs when their views do not impact their jobs. But on the left these days, they believe you should be canceled. When you say something they disagree with, they decide that that is a reflection on you and you must be canceled. You must be driven from society. You must be made to care. And I don't believe in unilateral disarmament on this issue at this point. The left is dominant in culture and seeking to silence voices on the right. And it is fair, I think, that if you're going to have people on the left want to silence everyone on the right for views they don't like, well, then guess what? Payback. And he's a victim of that. What I find most interesting, though, is that he has these views. Because I want to tell you, I don't think his views are anomalous. And I think when you have a guy like that saying that uh, the lack of melanin in pale-skinned people makes them closer to animals and true savages, and you have a writer at the New York Times who believes that Africans came to the New World and discovered it first, but don't get any credit, but the pyramids of Central America are proof. I think there is an ideological, mythological undercurrent among a lot of prominent people who don't get called out because they live in a bubble and, and they never have to they never have to be held accountable for their crazy views. I mean, look at Scientology for a moment, if you will. Scientology is a cult of rich people from Hollywood, 
and a few duped people who have poured all of their money money into it uh, that believes that 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 some uh, some alien being flew to this planet in in like B-17 bombers that were fitted out for space or some such and and locked people in the souls of people in volcanoes. Uh, they crystallized. They were nuked. It was exploded. Those things embedded in the primitive creatures uh, and were passed down genetically or some such through DNA and that they're called thetans and you got to purge the thetans of Xenu. This is this is what Scientology believes. And there are a lot of rich people in Hollywood who pay a lot of money into Scientology and believe this stuff and they don't get called out for that. There are, you know, here's the thing. Okay, th- th- this this goes to a larger point. And, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm going to send some editorial signaling here to, to Philip, who works with me, that, that this is what I want on Instagram. So Nick Cannon has this view that white people are a, a little less human. They're closer to animals. They're true savages. He, it didn't affect his job. I don't think he should be canceled for saying this stuff. It exposes his mindset, but it didn't impact his job. But, you know, again, uh, if the left is going to cancel people on the right, the right is going to cancel people on the left, and he's a victim of cancel culture for saying what he truly believes. But there are a lot of people on the left and the right who say crazy things. And and remarkably, the more well-off and the more successful you get, for some reason, you're, you're willing to believe and do even crazier stuff. And I don't understand it. And I, I think what it is, you want to get my crazy belief, I think that the, the further away you get from God, uh, the, the, the more you're willing to believe in, in craziness. Uh, you know, see, uh, Chesterton said... Uh, the, the, the problem with not believing in God is not that you'll believe in nothing, but that you'll believe in everything. We, we've got this guy who believes that the people who lack melanin are closer to animals. You've got uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, the writer of the New York Times 1619 Project, who wants to rewrite American history, who wrote in college that she believed that Africans got to the New World before the Europeans and proof for the pyramids in Central America that they collaborated with the Central Americans as a sign of collaboration and peace. I wonder if she kind of agrees with what he's saying. Is there a common element there, given her craziness, which she hasn't walked away from, by the way? And then you've got the rich people in Hollywood who are godless and, and buy into Scientology and the Thetans and Xenu and the B-whatever bombers who, who nu- nuked volcanoes and crystallized and primitive. You, you got all sorts of rich people who get crazy stuff. And you, and you know how you can pay attention? Look at the people who get really rich. And what do they do? They go out and they buy the ugliest houses, the gaudiest houses, the gold leaf everywhere. It, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. They build temples to themselves. I don't know what it is about successful people believing crazy things, but you get really wealthy and godless and you believe all sorts of mythologies. But then it trickles down to essential oils. Uh, it, it just, it, it goes down to the middle class. It, it corrupts and pollutes other people. It's just, it, it starts with, with people who get inside bubbles of wealth and godlessness and trickles out. More people need Jesus. But again, I I can't help but when I hear Nick Cannon say this sort of mythology, I come back to the woman who wants to rewrite American history for the New York Times and won a Pulitzer Prize for doing it, uh, completely a revisionist history repudiated by historians left, right, and center, won the New York Times, and in college actually professed her belief that the Africans got here first and the proof are the Aztec pyramids. 
makes me wonder if she might buy into some of this mythology as well. Makes me wonder who else buys into this mythology. Because not a lot of pushback from him until it was exposed to a broader audience. And there's no difference between this and what the KKK believes. You know, hatred of white people based on race is racism. I realize there are progressives out there who believe that you can only be racist if you're white. I, I know there are people who believe that. They're wrong. We're, we're hearing it with Nick Cannon. These are racist beliefs in the same way that the Klan has racist beliefs of black people. Judge people by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. But I don't think he should have gotten canceled for it. It revealed who he is and what he believes, but it didn't affect the job he was doing. No one gives us the right to be surrounded with people who just agree with everything we say and don't have controversial. Everybody has a crazy belief. Every single person has a belief that that uh, they believe that probably isn't right and probably shouldn't be said publicly. And, and the sin he committed was saying the crazy stuff publicly, what he believes privately. But we're in a world where on the left, they want to cancel everyone. And if they're going to do that, they're going to get canceled too. That's just how this works. Why, hello there. The phone number, if you'd like to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The governor of the state of Georgia will be joining me uh, at the top of the 10 o'clock hour. One of the th- I, I want to ask him about the, the viral situation in the state. I, I think I've got to ask him about the viral situation in the state. Um, but one of the things I also want to ask him about is the Board of Pardon and Paroles here in Georgia. I did hear from a member of the state legislature yesterday who said that uh, he is going to see about filing articles of impeachment. And I think that is a fantastic idea. I think he should do it. Uh, but, you know, here's here's my disappointment now. Uh, that It's one legislator. What about others? Where, where, where is the stand-up from other legislators who are taking action on this? Now, I got to read you something from the Board of Pardon Broles because unless you think this is an isolated incident, a... A a prominent official in the state sent me this. This is from 2017 in the Georgia Court of Appeals. The members of the Board of Pardon Paroles who were involved in this case are still at the Board of Pardon Paroles. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in, you've got no idea what I'm talking about. May 27th of this year, the Board of Pardon Paroles let out of prison a man who has been called by a judge the most prolific collector of child pornography on planet Earth. The man collected pictures and videos of children being raped, tortured, and sexually abused. He is from here in Georgia, from Troop County, from LaGrange. He was on the LaGrange County Commission, as a matter of fact. The judge, to ensure that the man could never get out of jail, sentenced him to a 1,000 years in prison. He served seven years of that 1,000-year prison sentence, and the Board of Pardon Parole let him out. On parole. Now, in 2017, there was a case of a man who the board pardoned. He was a sexual predator. The board pardoned him. And the case went forward because the man stopped registering as a sex offender. He stopped registering as a sex offender after being pardoned by the board of pardon and paroles. 
the board of pardon and paroles, obviously, and, and the local prosecutor and the local victim were upset. And here's the problem. The board of pardon and paroles, and it's the exact same members now that were there then, never said in the pardon that they, they, they pardoned him of his crime and never made it contingent on his continued registry as a sex offender. And the court said, look, this is wrong, but there's literally nothing we can do with it. This is an executive power. They messed it up. The judiciary can't fix what the executive messes up when it comes to a pardon. Along the way, uh, the, uh, the district attorney tried to get the man's uh, pardon record. The Board of Pardon and Paroles not only refused, but they acknowledged that there actually is no objective procedure for pardons, that it is subjective, and that 99% of pardon requests are granted. This is the Georgia Board of Pardon and Paroles. And it seems like there's a real problem there. Let me read you part of what, what, the, what the, the court wrote. Perhaps some or even all of the board's members genuinely believe that their pardon of Mr. Davis did not relieve him of his duty to continue his registration as a sex offender. The court is not at liberty to disregard the plain meaning of the words used by the Board of Pardon and Paroles issuing that pardon or the applicable law detailed above. Indeed, we're duty-bound to abide by the plain language used by the board of its pardon, not the unexpressed mentions or intentions of one or more board members. They did not require, as part of his pardon, for him to continue registering as a sex offender. Therefore, the judiciary was unable to force him to do it. And now they've let out of prison a man who has been called the most prolific collector of child porn on planet Earth. A thousand-year prison sentence let out after seven years. It is the exact same board now that let out that child predator in 2017 and didn't make him continue registering as a child predator. Computer systems in cars are the new normal from electronically controlled transmissions, touchscreen displays, dozens of sensors. You can't fix any of these new features yourself. So when something breaks, it can cost a fortune. And now's not the time for expensive repairs. You want to have something like CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans. They can save you thousands for a covered repair from the computers to the GPS to the electronics and more. The people at CarShield understand payment flexibility is an absolute must. They've got monthly plans. They can be customized to your needs with rates as low as $99 a month. There's no long-term contract or commitment. CarShield gives you options others won't. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to work with. CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car when yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped over 1 million customers drive with confidence knowing you're covered by America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for a covered repair. Call 800-CAR-6000. Mention my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Or visit carshield.com and use Eric, E-R-I-C-K, save 10%. That's carshield.com. The code is Eric. A deductible may apply. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The full number, you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The President of the United States is coming to Georgia today to talk about infrastructure. It is actually finally... After 10 years of people promising, 
from Democrats to Republicans, it appears to finally be Infrastructure Week. The president coming to talk about infrastructure and transportation in Georgia. Joining me to talk about that and more is the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp. Uh, Good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Eric. So yeah, before I get into the, the president's trip, I, I, I got to ask you a couple of things, one of which I, I hope I'm not ambushing you by, but I, I really, I've been talking a couple of times now. In fact, the only reason I brought it back up after coming back from vacation is is two of our Supreme Court justices in Georgia reached out and said, there's a problem, keep talking about it. Uh, and that's the, the Board of Pardon and Paroles letting out the, the man who was sentenced to a thousand years in prison for uh, being the most prolific collector of child porn on planet Earth, according to the judge. Uh, they let him out after seven years. And one of our Supreme Court justices, I wasn't supposed to say that part, but um, someone in the state uh, flagged a Georgia Court of Appeals case for me that in 2017, the same board members let out a child predator and pardoned him, said that 99% of these people are pardoned uh that's according to the court and that they didn't require him to to register as a sex offender once they pardoned him so somewhere out there there's this there seems to be a problem and i'm hearing from judges and da's that uh there really is a problem and and they're getting frustrated and wanted to put this on your radar screen yeah no i'm frustrated too i can assure you that uh, i first saw that story when actually my wife marty our first lady sent me that and said, what the hell is going on? And I, I tend to agree with her. We're actually digging into that. Obviously, uh, I know it's frustrating because it pardons and parole. These cases are sealed. It's hard getting information from them. Uh, we have been asking that. But we are looking at the statutes now to see it, it appears, and I haven't been able to confirm this yet, but we're still working on that, that it, it's something to do with the sentencing guidelines and um we're going to dig into that and certainly we'll be glad to keep you posted. Well, and, and you know, I, I do want to be clear with listeners as well that uh, unlike a lot of states, uh, you as governor have no pardon power in the state. There's an uh, a board uh, that is appointed by governors, except you haven't had a chance to appoint anyone to it. It's completely separate executive entity over which you've got no oversight. Uh, so I don't want anybody to blame you for this, um, but I, I'm, I certainly appreciate you, you looking into this. Well, part of the frustration is, too, is you don't know the reasoning behind the decisions because you can't get the reasoning behind the decisions, which is is certainly frustrating to the public and the press as well. But that's, you know, the way the system was set up when I got here. But we'll keep digging and keep you posted. I appreciate it. Now, uh, also, let's talk about the virus for a minute because we hear the daily numbers in Georgia, but my understanding is very much like Florida uh, that it's mostly young people who may go into the hospital but aren't staying long. Uh, we're not maxing out resources in the state like people have expected. And and there is a partnership, I believe, now with Piedmont Hospital about hospital capacity in the state. So it, it, it certainly looks like things are not like the Phoebe Putney situation in February and March, uh, even as the numbers go up in the state. Well, there's no doubt about that. We're a lot a better position to handle it now. We've learned a lot. That was something I had a great discussion with uh, Kevin Brown, the CEO and the chief medical officer at Piedmont yesterday and the rest of their uh, healthcare team that was doing the tour with me as we worked with them to create additional bed space to make sure that, you know, if anybody needs a bed in Georgia, that they're going to have one. Um, And really the reason we're doing that, Eric, is to make sure that people can continue to get elective surgeries and other screenings that they need to have in the hospital. And I want to encourage people to do that. 
it's safe to do that. That will help the financial viability of our hospitals. They're telling me, you know, we don't need to get back to a place where we have to shut those procedures down. It, it, I don't know if they could make it through uh, another financial disruption like they went through the last time. So we're trying to help them manage that. But the treatments are much better. Uh, the patients are much younger. The ones that uh, have the high risk, they're able to implement the treatments quicker and they know better how to deal with the patients. A lot of that has to do with turning them over and the way that they're laying in their beds, plus the remdesivir that the Trump administration uh, has been so great at getting to the states that, that really need it, as well as plasma treatment and some steroid treat, treatment. So, you know, we're we're stocked on PPE. We've got plenty of ventilators. You know, the remdesivir keeps coming. So all of those things, the amount of testing that we're doing, we had another huge testing day yesterday um, are all the things that you need to do to manage an uptick. And, and we said when we start to reopen in a methodical way as we've done, um, we're going to see upticks. And there's a lot of reasons for that, uh, but we need our citizens to be the solution not part of the problem and be smart if they're going out and they can't uh, socially distance wear your mask you know try to stay six feet apart from people um, we got to make sure that our young people especially are being considerate of those that they are around a lot of them have been going out and having social gatherings and many of these were not at bars or at restaurants but they're at apartments and you know fraternity houses and sorority houses and beach trips and then you know, what I don't want them to do is to infect their parents or their grandparents and that somehow or a nursing home worker and that gets in and, and somebody contracts the virus where it can be a deadly episode for them. We've seen our death rates decrease. They're much better than they were. And we're just fighting really hard to flatten the curve again and, and keep moving forward. Now, last question on, on this before we move on to the president's visit. Could you just talk about your views on masks? Because I know you're getting some pushback on making them mandatory or not. And I think I understand why, why you haven't, but wanted to give you the opportunity to explain. Well, Dr. Toomey and I both and our whole team have talked about this a lot. I don't believe a mask mandate is going to work. Uh, you know, a lot of the local governments that are calling for mask mandates or passing them. They're not enforcing the current rules that we have on social distancing you know, the bars can only be uh, open with limited capacity. I'll guarantee you that, you know, even though the locals have enforcement, uh, many or probably none are not enforcing and, you know, writing warning tickets and things of that nature to make sh sure that our businesses are following the rules. And many of them are, but some of them are not. And the guidance that we have in place will suffice if people will, will you know, just follow the guidance that we have and part of the the guidance even though it's not mandated is to wear a mask it works um, if you're you know going in a public place or a place that's going to be crowded wear your mask if you're going out to eat just keep your mask on till you get to your table your table is going to be socially distanced from other tables your server is going to have a mask on and that will really work to help uh, stop the spread. But even with masks, the virus can, can spread. So socially distancing is the best thing that, that you can do. Uh, and we shouldn't have to have mandates there for people to do the right thing. You know, right. we got mandates on speed limits and people break them every day. You know, nobody was worried about the socially distancing mandates or the large gathering ban that we still have of 50 people when the protests were going on. Um, and, and, you know, I understand why, and I, I was in that same camp as well. 
but we also, you know, we've got to be realistic when, when you have that scenario playing out and nobody's saying anything, it sends the message to everyone else that it's free reign out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's just not, we're going to have to live, learn to live with the virus, which we are. Our hospitals have done that. Our doctor's offices have done that, but we also have to not only protect the lives of our citizens, but the livelihoods. You think about the, I mean, literally, you know, the reason that we're holding where we are, I believe if we start shutting down again, we're going to lose restaurants forever. We're going to lose a lot of small businesses forever. And that economic toll is going to be devastating on our school budgets, on our health care budgets, on our social services budget. When you think about blind, aged, disabled, Medicaid and other programs. So we've got to balance both. And that's what we're doing every single day, 24 seven. Well, shifting gears, the president is coming in to talk about traffic and infrastructure. He's going to cause a traffic jam to come talk about traffic, I-75 and and the rest. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, give us an overview of of what's going on today. Well, hopefully it won't be a traffic jam today. I was glad to see he's flying into Hartsville, Jackson and flying out of there. So I don't think they're going to have to move him around. So Metro commuters will be happy about that. But he's really coming to announce – as he's been doing through his whole administration, and that is cutting red tape. And he's doing it today on these transportation projects. When I was reading a little bit about what he's doing today, you had a six-page bill that, that created um, this, uh, you know, basically the legislation that he's going to be talking about today. And then you had 40 pages of rules that have been written. And that's typically what happens, especially in Washington, D.C. You pass a bill, and then you have bureaucrats that start writing the rules. And the rules, Eric, end up being a tax, basically, because it takes lawyers and consultants and a host of people just to get the initial permitting done. And what the president's doing today is he's cutting the red tape. He's still going to allow for environmental reviews, but he's just going to speed the process up and basically put a shot clock on that process like a, an NBA shot clock or you know college basketball shot clock that will speed projects up which will allow us to do them quicker and as you know uh, during the great recession during the Obama years I mean we fell way behind on transportation infrastructure projects and this will help us catch up and it'll be a, a priority for us uh, one good example is the truck lanes for I, I was going to ask you about south, that one south yeah south of Atlanta And, you know, even though traffic has been lighter with a lot of people still teleworking and and other things, not traveling quite as much during the pandemic, I remember driving home from Atlanta after uh, something we were doing. I may have been at the State Operations Center that night, and we drove up 85 north toward, you know, Jefferson and Commerce going to Athens, and like 80% of the vehicles in the southbound lane there was one accident and 80 percent of the vehicles as we rode by they were slowed down enough where you could actually just kind of see were tractor trailers mm-hmm. and it's a big part of our logistics network in the state and these projects like the the truck train uh, truck lane only will really help speed up our logistics network which is good for business but it'll also help um, with our commuters well, I've been kind of interested in the last couple of years. The, the DOT here in Georgia seems to realize, I, I think, that there's they can only keep buying up so much land around the interstates. Uh, they'll be encroaching on houses and, 
and businesses, but there seems to be some real innovative projects out there. Like, for example, the truck lane. I've been seeing them south of the city trying to clear easements and stuff and get ready for it. But the lawsuits and 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 red tape and regulations, same with the uh, redesign of the 400-285 section north of Atlanta. Uh, everything does just seem to grind to a halt for a while while you got lawsuits and environmentalists and bureaucrats involved. Well, that's that's the case, and that's what the president's going to be tackling today, and I'm very supportive of that. I certainly appreciate Secretary Chow. I've had the opportunity to be with her several times um, at, at the White House and in other places, and I know she's doing a great job. She's a pro-business um, you know, transportation director, just like we have in Georgia with Russell McMurray and Janine Miller, who's the governor's new transportation director. We've got a great team. Um, you know, we've got great projects that we have on the board. Uh, the General Assembly session this year, we targeted a lot of the bond package to infrastructure and transportation projects, roads and bridges and other things, because we know that'll do two things, Eric. It'll continue to help us have a great logistics network, which is good for business. It'll help our commuters, but it'll also put a lot of hard work in Georgians to work, and we certainly need that now more than we ever have. Well, Governor, listen, thank you very much for stopping by and and have fun at the airport with the president today. All right. Have a great day, and we'll keep you posted on everything else. Thank you very much. Governor Brian Kemp uh, joining me here this morning across the state of Georgia. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I got a text message from uh, someone close to the governor while we're on saying that they really are committed to looking into this board of pardon and parole stuff, uh, that it very much concerns them, which is good. Uh, we got to keep the pressure on that one. I want to circle back to something the governor said. Uh, This really is an infuriating issue, and I I hope to get you as outraged about it as I am, and I think the Board of Pardon and Paroles, all of them need to be impeached. Uh, This is an official in the state. I I won't revisit my source. Um, Shouldn't have said that. Um, an official in this state, uh, forwarded me along a case, uh, that was actually from the court of appeals where this very same board composed of the exact same people. Um, they, um, they, they pardoned a sex predator who committed aggravated sodomy on a minor. They pardoned him, let him out of jail, and they forgot, forgot, did not, I don't know whether it was intentional or not, they claimed it was an oversight. Uh, They did not require that the sexual predator continue to file as uh, on the sex registry, sex offender registry. So somewhere in Georgia, there is a person who is a sex offender who is roaming free with a pardon from the board and does not have to uh, does, does not have to be on the sex offender registry. And uh, there was nothing that the Court of Appeals or the Supreme Court could do on the issue. They could not allow the guy, they could not force the guy onto the sex offender registry because the Board of Pardon and Paroles did not make him do it. And the pardon power is an executive power. So, I mean, they, they, they were helpless to do anything, and they were outraged by it, outraged enough that, that uh, someone sent me a copy of the case and said, look at this, this is ridiculous, and that there there is a real problem with the Board of Pardon and Paroles. And, and I, I do wonder if impeachment 
is the solution here because this is a pattern. This is a pattern. I'm having judges and DAs across the state tell me that there are serious problems with the Board of Pardon and Paroles. Uh, and so I think it probably is time to impeach the members of the Board of Pardon and Paroles or even just threaten to impeach them to force some reform or force some resignations out of them. Uh, but I would move forward with it. it. Were I the governor, and I'm not going to tell the governor of Georgia what to do. He's got enough on his hands right now, and there's a virus to deal with. He's got the president coming into town. But I, I think I would uh, call a special session and demand impeachment of the Board of Pardon and Paroles. And the reason is because uh, they there is a pattern of irregular behavior, of irresponsible behavior, and they seal everything. They seal everything they do. All their decisions are sealed. Uh, so victims don't know. Uh, district attorneys don't know. And the public doesn't know. And the press can't know why they decided to do what they did. Now, one of the things the governor said is that guidelines, there may be a problem with sentencing guidelines that need to be looked at. Uh, what we know from this 2017 case uh, before the Georgia Court of Appeals is that much of the guidelines behind the scenes are very subjective. They don't have to follow the guidelines as precisely as they claim. So clearly there's something going on at the board and it needs to be looked into. And, and I appreciate the governor doing this. And, and I do want to be clear for him. This is not – the governor has no oversight over the board. Uh, he can appoint members to the board, but Nathan Deal on his way out of office stacked the board, so Governor Kemp has no appointment power there. And uh, Governor Deal appointed a bunch – reappointed a bunch of people he had already appointed, most of them from Hall County, where he's from. Uh, and uh, I think that it is time to clear out the board of pardon and paroles and demand action there. Uh, and I'm not going to let this go, and I don't want you to let this go, and I do intend to prepare an action item. Now, when we come back, Andy Puzder is going to join me. Uh, you know him. He's the CEO of Carl Jr. and Hardee's. He was to be the Commerce Secretary, and he would have been a brilliant Commerce Secretary. Uh, I'm actually a big fan of his. He, I've never met the man. I've never talked to the man, and I'm actually a really big fan of his. Uh, what he has done in business, he has stood up to the bullies over the years. Uh, he has uh, valued free market and innovation and enterprise. He has not tried to use um, he has not tried to use lobbyists, lawyers, and regulation to steer competitive uh, economic advantages towards his business. He has instead tried to innovate and outdo and outclass his competitors, and it has worked. By and large, it has worked. He's a great uh, free marketeer, and I'm delighted to be able to talk to him in the next half hour. Uh, in the 11 o'clock hour, Matt Whitaker is going to join me. Matt Whitaker uh, was uh, the chief of staff to the then attorney general, uh, Jeff Sessions. He stuck around, served as acting attorney general uh, because the law and order issue is still a big issue for the GOP right now. Uh, and they intend to make uh, a claim on law and order. And they intend to push this issue and also push the issue of uh, the radicalism on the left. It's going to be interesting to talk about him. Uh, President Trump, of course, held his press conference yesterday. I want to talk more about his press conference later, but listen. America lost nearly 10,000 factories while Joe Biden was vice president. Think of that, 10,000 factories. He wrote something today and he made a statement today that i wrote down pretty accurate we're going to get into all that the president goes through joe biden's record of getting nothing accomplished 47 years in washington dc 
and doesn't have anything to show with it. It was actually kind of funny, and reporters are really, really upset with him for doing it. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. I have never spoken to my next guest, and I'm actually a big fan of his, so I'm excited. Uh, he's the former CEO of CKE Restaurants. Uh, you know it as, as Hardy's and Carl's. Uh, he is one of the greatest defenders of the free market uh, in the United States. He should have been uh, President Trump's labor secretary. Uh, the left, of course, doesn't particularly like him because he actually likes free markets and capitalism, uh, which is exactly the person you need in a place like that. Uh, Andy Puzder is joining me. Welcome. How are you? Oh, are you there? Mr. Puzder. Well, there? Hell. Uh, Hi, there Eric. you go. Hi there. Yeah, much better. I'm a fan of yours as well. Thank you for that. Well, look, I, I appreciate it. I, I really am delighted to speak to you. They, they asked if I want to talk to you. and I was like, absolutely. Um, your time, <laughs> I, I was saying in my last segment, uh, one of the things I appreciated about you uh, being the CEO at, at Hardee's and Carl's is that you didn't try to use the regulatory tactics of Washington to, to stifle competition. You just out-innovated everybody and out-advertised everybody. Uh, and I appreciated that you weren't willing to play that game where you just get lobbyists to go carve stuff out for you and actually fought the competition off. Well, thank you. It was uh, it was a great 16 years. I enjoyed it. Had a great team, wonderful support, and that's the way you succeed in this country. Now, let's talk about that because there we do have this rise now on the left of we've got to end. I, I hear almost on a daily basis someone out there saying we've got to end capitalism or, or re, redo capitalism. And it seems like it's worked pretty good for the last 200 years around here. Well, you know, when you think about it, ca capitalism is characterized by the left, by these people like AOC and Bernie Sanders as being based on greed and self-interest. Well, well, it's not. The only way you succeed in a capitalist economy, the only way you succeed is by meeting the needs of other people. People aren't going to listen to your radio show unless you meet their needs. They weren't going to buy burgers from Carl's or Hardy's unless I found a way to meet their needs, to give them what they wanted at a price they could afford. So what capitalism does is it really takes the desire of people to improve their lives and directs that outwards towards meeting the needs of other people. Now, that's not... It's not pure benevolence because you're still relying on people's desire to improve their lives. You're, and I don't think that's a bad thing. But it's sure a lot closer to benevolence than what you get in a socialist country where people are always trying to, to please government elites. They're not trying to please the other people in the society because they can't. You're standing in a bread line. You're not trying to get bread for the person in front of you or behind you. you know, you're trying to get the most you can for yourself when you get to the end of that line. And they always seem to bread lines well, in these socialist countries eventually. I'm kind of shocked these days by people not actually understanding how the profit motive helps everybody um, by, by selling a product at a reasonable price. You, you actually do benefit not just yourself, but actually the people around you who you're selling stuff to. Exactly. And I, I tell you, you know, thank God we have a president. We almost had Hillary Clinton, but we luckily we have a president who understands the profit motive, who understands how to drive businesses to create jobs and raise wages, which is why we had really the strongest economy in times heading into this pandemic and why we're, we're coming out of it with such vigor and enthusiasm, because we have a president that does understand the profit motive, that does understand the capitalist system, who lived in it and understands that it's a good thing. Not a bad thing. And uh, I think part of the problem, uh, Eric, is the education system where kids are not learning in school the benefits of capitalism. 
They're being taught things that are anti-free markets, that are anti, you get anti-American history, not American history. And it shouldn't be a surprise that we've got kids coming out of schools who just don't understand these ideas and actually feel hurt. They feel like you're attacking them when you try and explain it. You know, they're, they're, uh, they don't feel safe. They don't feel like they're in a safe place. So it's, it's, it's a big problem. We need to get the education system back. Uh, we need to, to go out and tell people, particularly younger Americans, the importance of free markets, freedom, liberty, capitalism. And uh, we need to do it quickly because um, we're, uh, as Ronald Reagan said, we're always just one generation. Freedom is always just one generation away from extinction. And, you know, I'm hoping this isn't that generation. I hope not. And and I've got a lot of friends who worry about it. And, and we see the rise of Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the left. And, and today now, the, the day everyone is filing their taxes and Joe Biden is being very open about the fact that if he becomes president, he's going to raise taxes on people. I'm not exactly sure how we get an economic recovery post virus if we're raising taxes. Well, even even Barack Obama said in 2009, you don't raise taxes during a recession. You, you don't have to be a genius to know this stuff. You don't have to be an economist. You know, Joe Biden's got some problems. I think he's, you know, I think, uh, I may be careful what I say here, but I, I, he's got some problems. And, uh, and he's, he's very susceptible to influence. You know, my dad uh, died when he was 93. And in his mid to late 70s, he kind of lost a step. Now, he never had Alzheimer's, but he had some dementia. And, you know, I we still loved him, and we, you know, we we were uh, we tried to be a little careful around him, what we did and what we said, uh, and we loved him, but it wouldn't want it wouldn't have wanted him to be president of the United States, and so we, we've got to be careful who we elect here. We're going to elect somebody who is very susceptible to influence, and is surrounded by socialists and Marxists. I mean, that's who the people that are surrounding him are. That these are the people that are supporting his commitment to the raise taxes, increase regulations implement the Green New Deal. And I have to tell you, and this is for all of your independent and, and Democrat-leaning listeners, if you didn't like the last couple of months, if you thought the last couple of months of economic shutdown you know, were not a pleasant time, you're going to hate the Green New Deal shutdown because it's going to make the last couple of months look like prosperity. I mean, that deal would destroy this country and destroy its economy. And, and you know, I, I got to believe that uh, that's the objective of some people out there. And unfortunately, I think they may have Joe Biden's ear. Well, as a matter of fact, let me play you this clip. This is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said this yesterday. And that is really, you know, when people say and ask me, how are you going to pass this or how are you going to pass that? Um, I tell them we got to win the Senate and the White House. That is our legislative strategy. <laughs> or um, getting this stuff passed. Well, I mean, at least she's honest. Um, I mean, <laughs> even Biden now saying we've got nine years left before uh, we destroy the planet if we don't pass her Green New Deal. Well, you know, that, it, this is so ridiculous. I, <laughs> just so, so, you, almost, you almost don't know how to respond to it. it. You know, this is a woman who was in LaGuardia Airport and paid, I think, like $8 for a bagel and was complaining about how expensive it was, and in the in literally in the same breath was advocating for a higher minimum wage, not realizing that the reason the bagel cost so much was that the LaGuardia Airport had a high minimum wage, <laughs> so right. so they had to charge a lot for the food. I mean, this woman, this is she thought that uh, people having multiple jobs was responsible for the unemployment rate going down. When in fact, people holding multiple jobs means fewer people are employed, and it causes the unemployment rate to go up. I mean, she just, she just has no idea what she's talking about. I think the, 
I think she went to Boston University and got a degree in economics. I mean, they ought to, they ought to decertify that school. <laughs> I can't imagine that they would yes. let anybody graduate with, with the level of ignorance she has of the, uh, of the economy and how the economy works. Well, but, you know, that seems to be in, increasingly common, and I, I've heard you talk on TV about this before as well, and, and what you just said a little while ago, that th- there is a real frustration, I think, with uh, people not understanding how basic uh, free market economics works. And frankly, even among Republicans these days, it, it seems like you've got a lot of uh, protectionists who want government carve-outs to pick winners and losers as opposed to letting society itself do it through engagement in capitalism. And people just really need to talk to somebody who's in business. Talk to a friend who owns, I don't know, a restaurant or a bar or a grocery store. All they're trying to do is convince you that they have what you want. Think about your local grocery store. The thousands of products on the shelf, each one of which represents a business person trying to convince you that they have what you want at a price you can afford. The result is abundance and prosperity. This is why socialists, when they come to the United States, particularly the ones from the old Soviet Union, used to be astounded by our grocery stores and the abundance. It's because capitalism produces abundance and prosperity. Look at Venezuela, look at Cuba, look at the former Soviet Union, look at North Korea. Socialism produces poverty and want, despair, and depression. You know, it's kind of what we went through the last couple of months where we're having really an epidemic within the pandemic of despair and depression because people are at home, many living on government benefits. So government, and and they're much appreciated during the pandemic. People needed help to shut the economy down intentionally. But look, government benefits are never going to be a replacement for, uh, you know, the dignity of a job, the security of a paycheck, or the opportunity you have to improve your future and your family's future in a free market economy. Even, you know, they go after like Jeff Bezos, right? He's worth X billions of dollars because the stock of Amazon went up. Well, number one, if you believed like Jeff Bezos says, you could have bought his stock for $10 a share like a decade ago. You know, and now it's worth $3,000 a share, number one. Number two, he didn't get rich. He didn't become tremendously wealthy because he stole from He became tremendously wealthy because he tremendously benefited all of us. We've gotten through this pandemic, you know, without Amazon uh, you know, or Apple. You know, who cares that Steve Jobs made a bunch of money? I went for a walk the other day, a, a, you know, a hike. I had my Apple phone, my Apple watch, and my earbuds, uh, you know, my earpods. So I had like three Apple products going for a walk. You know, he, these people improve our lives. They do so tremendously, and they benefit tremendously. And people need to understand this economy is based on benefiting other people. It's not like China, where you have to be in the Politburo to be a billionaire. You have to benefit the government. In this country, you can earn it, and it doesn't matter who you are. Amen to that. Listen, I, I could talk to you all day, but I, I know your time is valuable, and, and I got a commercial break. But I can't thank you enough. I, I really, I, I mean it when I said it. I, I've been a huge fan of yours for years. Uh, I, I, eating at the, my Hardee's up the street, and just I could see the turnaround after you became CEO, and, and was wondering who in charge was making all these changes uh, so that I could get my bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. And I just, I, I appreciate everything you've done. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate what you're doing as well. Thanks for Absolutely. having me on. Thank you. Andy Puzder, uh, former CEO uh, of uh, CKE Restaurants. That's uh, Carl's Jr. and Hardy's. Uh, really a great defender of the free market, uh, out for the president, uh, defending the free market and pointing out what is going on with a, a Biden's plan today is, is I mean, it, it really is insane. I want to play this audio for you on Joe Biden, uh, what he said about the Green New Deal and global warming. Listen to this. 
what American workers can accomplish when given the room to run. I know the climate change is a challenge that's going to define our American future. I know meeting the challenge will be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to jolt new life into our economy, strengthen our global leadership, protect our planet for future generations. And if I have the honor of being elected president, we're not just going to tinker around the edges. We're going to make historic investments that will seize the opportunity and meet this moment in history. We're going to get to work delivering results right away on day one. We're going to reverse Trump's rollbacks of 100 public health and environmental rules and then forge a path to greater ambition. We're going to get back into the Paris Agreement, back into the business of leading the world. We're going to lock in progress that no future president can roll back or undercut to take us backward again. Science requires a timetable for measuring progress on climate that isn't three decades or even two. Science tells us we have nine years before the damage is irreversible. So my timetable results is in my first four years as president. The jobs we'll create, the investments we'll make, and the irreversible steps will take to mitigate and adapt to the climate change and put our nation on the road to net zero emissions no later than 2050. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get to work now. Now. Thank you. The science actually doesn't say that. The hysterics say that. Uh, no credible scientist says that we only have nine years before it's irreversible. None of them actually do. But he's bought into that rhetoric because he's got to have the left on his side. I don't even know that Joe Biden really believes that, but it, but he's trying to placate the left right now. He's got to have them on his side. He's got to have them fired up. And that is what they're doing. That is what they're saying. That is what they want. He would wreck the economy. You cannot, as Andy Puzder pointed out, you, you cannot get out of our economic downturn from the virus and impose something like the Green New Deal because you will destroy our economy. You think we shut down for the virus? Wait until you see the shutdown for the Green New Deal. Uh, that's that's what's at stake in November. High stakes indeed. Okay, I, I, I got to tell you guys, I, I, I got to go full circle to the beginning of this program. So I, I put up uh, that graph. I, I showed it in, in the first hour. It is a graph of the, um, of, the, of the virus as it is spreading around the country. Uh, it is, it, it, to me, it is hilarious, uh, largely for one simple issue. Let me give you the data points that I put into this graph, uh, and, and you'll get the joke, I suspect. Um, so the very first one, beginning of April, small business owners protest to reopen. And the seven-day average trends down. You get to the end of April, states start to reopen. It's because it continues to trend down to Memorial Day. Uh, and uh, Memorial Day is kind of flat, and it goes over to the beginning of June, and the protests and the riots begin. And then about two weeks later, it starts to curve up. And then you get a little bit of a drop-off, and you have the pride rallies uh, that happened in Chicago and Dallas and elsewhere where you had thousands of people go into the streets, and, and it continues to go up. 
People are livid, 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 livid that I put the pride marches on there. And, you know, I, I did it for a relevant reason. I, I left off, for example, the Tulsa rally because that only happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, but those pride rallies happened around the nation. And, and I'm surprised by the number of people saying, I want sources on those rallies. Did you not see TV? Did, did you, were you not paying attention to the press who actually covered them favorably? Or the protesters? And, and it, it really, it really genuinely, truly says more about the people who are mad than anything else, the people who are virtue signaling in their blame game as to what's happening. People just want to blame someone, and they're mad at me for pointing out the pride rallies. There were thousands of people in the streets in Chicago and San Francisco and Dallas, in Miami and elsewhere, who turned out to celebrate pride when they were asked not to, and the media gave them a pass. And... We're supposed to believe that they didn't spread the virus. We're, we're supposed to believe they didn't contribute to it. You know, I, I was attacked early on for noting uh, when the protests started after George Floyd, there was no data to show that they had spread the virus, except in, in Charleston, South Carolina, where they had done some indoor protesting. And there was a direct correlation there. There was not any data. And the moment the data came out, I told you there was data coming out. And people on the right are mad at me for not immediately saying, oh, oh, they've spread the virus. Wanted to wait for the data. Wanted to wait for the data. And I think the data is there to show that the protest did. And and what I think is really infuriating to a lot of Americans, if you will recall in April when the small business owners came out and protested and said they wanted to reopen their businesses, the you actually had uh, one of the White House correspondents uh, said that um, one of the White House correspondents said that the small business owners needed to sign waivers so that they would be denied ventilators if they got the virus due to their irresponsible actions. The same White House correspondent joined the protesters in June. You saw the first responders criticizing. In, in Denver, remember the scene of the, of the doctor who was standing blocking traffic of the protesters in April? As they were yelling at him, he wearing his mask and scrubs. And in June, these first responders were cheering on the protesters. That level of hypocrisy is why so many people don't believe the experts. Because the experts and the reporters have skin in the game politically. They're partisan hacks as well. And they're showing it. There actually are experts out there who know what they're doing. Uh, frankly, I, I think Dr. Fauci is not infallible, uh, but I think he does a good job. Uh, I think here in Georgia, Kathleen Toomey uh, with the governor, uh, with the Department of Public Health is doing a, a remarkably commendable job. And she doesn't get enough credit. And all the people want to attack the governor for not making people wear masks. If you weren't here, I interviewed the governor at the beginning of the hour. And I think he's got a great point. They, they've got a, We have a speed limit in the state. Hardly anybody follows it. If he mandates masks, a lot of people aren't going to follow it. He's trying to get people to do the right thing, but he's not going to turn everyone into, into criminals by mandating masks and having no one do it when you've got cities around the state right now that aren't even enforcing the existing mandates for social distancing and crowd control and stuff like that. And I, I got to agree with him. I mean, Phyllis, I, I wish there was a mask mandate because I think more people would do it, but philosophically, I understand that most people are, or I shouldn't say most people, but a large minority of people won't. 
and cities will just use it to ticket people to get revenue. They're not actually going to do it. They're not going to enforce it um, otherwise. So um, I, it just it, it's it's ridiculous to see the number of people out there uh, that just can't understand that they need to do the right thing. And the number of people who think that the government should force people. Yeah, the government can't force people to keep the speed limit. You can exercise responsibility. The only way for the government to force you to exercise responsibility is to force you to stay in your in your house. And this governor's not going to do that. I understand why he's not going to do that. And it is it's just it's it's crazy to me. It, it is genuinely crazy that uh, we've got people out there attacking the governor as opposed to they themselves taking it upon themselves to do the right thing. You should not have to have the government lead you because if the government can lead you on this, the government's going to lead you on a lot of things and lead you to places you don't want to go. And philosophically, that's where the governor's position is on this. And I agree with him on that, even though I kind of wish he'd mandate masks. Computer systems in cars are the new normal from electronically controlled transmissions, touchscreen displays, dozens of sensors. You can't fix any of these new features yourself. So when something breaks, it can cost a fortune. And now's not the time for expensive repairs. You want to have something like CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans. They can save you thousands for a covered repair from the computers to the GPS to the electronics and more. The people at CarShield understand payment flexibility is an absolute must. They've got monthly plans. They can be customized to your needs with rates as low as $99 a month. There's no long-term contract or commitment. CarShield gives you options others won't. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to work with. CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car when yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped over 1 million customers drive with confidence knowing you're covered by America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for a covered repair. Call 800-CAR-6000. Mention my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Or visit carshield.com and use Eric, E-R-I-C-K, save 10%. That's carshield.com. The code is Eric. A deductible may apply. Why, hello. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The full number, you want to be part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. So I got to, I I got to play you a bit of the president's press conference yesterday because I, I do believe we have finally found the president's messaging for November, possibly. I want to play this clip for you. This is the president from the Rose Garden yesterday. America lost nearly 10,000 factories while Joe Biden was vice president. Think of that, 10,000 factories. He wrote something today and he made a statement today that I wrote down, pretty accurate. So Biden was here for 47 years, eight years, the last eight years, not long ago, as vice president, he said, one in five miles of our highways are still in poor condition. Well, we're doing a good job on highways, but why didn't he fix them three years ago? Why didn't he fix them? Tens of thousands of bridges are in disrepair 
and on the verge of collapse. Well, it's probably not a right number, but we have bridges that should have been fixed. Why didn't he fix them? He was there for eight years with President Obama. Why didn't they fix them? Tens of thousands of bridges. This is what he wrote. High-speed broadband. We want high-speed broadband. Well, why didn't he get it? Three years ago is not a long time. And uh, he didn't do any of the things, but now he says he's going to be president. As president, he's going to do all the things that he didn't do. He never did, never did anything, except make very bad decisions, especially on foreign policy. So Joe Biden and President Obama freely allowed China to pillage our factories, plunder our communities, and steal our most precious secrets. And I've stopped it largely, but I've stopped it. And it wasn't easy. <laughs> 47 years did nothing uh, a little bit more. Uh, let, let me, let me redirect my audio here. Cause I, I didn't get these clips. I'm playing them directly off the system. Entire career has been a gift to the Chinese communist party and to the calamity of, of errors that they've made. They made so many errors and it's been devastating for the American worker. China has taken out hundreds of billions of dollars a year from our country and we rebuilt China. I give them all the credit in the world. I don't give the credit for the people that used to stand here because they allowed this to happen where hundreds of billions of dollars were taken out of the United States Treasury in order to rebuild China. I mean, so the president essentially, his, his argument now against Joe Biden is that a Biden hasn't is now saying we need to do stuff that he's never done that Biden could have done. So, for example, uh, rebuilding bridges and infrastructure, the president is having infrastructure week. He's coming to Georgia. He is going to talk about uh, getting rid of red tape and bureaucracy that is hindering uh, building infrastructure. And Joe Biden is saying, well, we need to build bridges. We need to do all this stuff. And, and the president is pointing out that, you know, Joe Biden you, you had infrastructure week, uh, you, you had jobs week, you had all of these things in the past, and you, you didn't really do those things. You you could have done those things, but they never got around to it. I mean, they, they really genuinely had the opportunity to do infrastructure week in a way that would actually... Build, I mean, remember the billions of dollars that President Obama wanted to spend on infrastructure? And they, they, they didn't get around to doing it. It's remarkable. I'm trying to, while I talk to you, see if I, I, I used to keep a lot of these old clips uh, so that I could I could repackage their, re, recirculate them on, on infrastructure. Um, and I, I guess I don't have the clip, but remember that the president had this whole infrastructure thing. Back in the day, uh, Barack Obama did, and it went nowhere. And now Joe Biden is saying that we need to to build bridges and roads. I mean, President Obama spent all that money right when he came into office on infrastructure, and we still got problems. Listen to Joe Biden, by the way, on this for infrastructure. To get our people to work and our kids to school safely, to get our kids to market swiftly, to power a clean energy revolution in this country, we need to modernize America's infrastructure. Did you hear that? To get our people to work and our kids to school safely, to get our kids to market swiftly. To get our kids to market swiftly. To get our kids to market swiftly. 
we got to rebuild infrastructure. <laughs> Wait till the Pizzagate guys get a hold of that. I mean, you think Wayfair is engaged in human trafficking? Wait until they circulate the Biden clip. Where what's he selling our kids at market? What? <laughs> I mean, you know, the president has a relevant point. The man was there for 47 years, and he didn't do any of those things. He was vice president for eight years under Barack Obama. They didn't do all the stuff they claimed they needed to do. He's 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 got a uh, – the president has a relevant attack there on Joe Biden. And, you know, here's the other thing uh, that the president has. I want to play this clip from Simone Sanders. Simone Sanders is a uh, Democratic pundit. She was on Fox with Martha McCallum. Listen. To be clear, we're in this position because the Trump administration failed to act. As early as January and February, the Trump administration and the president specifically knew that COVID-19 was a threat, and they did nothing. We're still trying to figure out what the president exactly was doing in January and February. So the fact that we have record numbers of unemployment in this country, the fact that we are still, uh, and, and the whether fact or not that we are still currently in what is this July, we don't know the state of things, and we don't have real plans to send our from the federal government to send kids back to school, the fact that you know government, uh, local well, government, the federal government the has, has, has put out thirteen point uh, two. No, hold on. Now the federal government has put out thirteen point two billion. This is a billion. lack of a plan from the Trump administration, Mark. By the way, I, 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 it annoys me when when people can't have conversation because one of them just wants to filibuster. But you know what the president did in in January? The president in January stopped travel with China. He was attacked for racism by Democrats. He was attacked for racism, for stopping travel with China. The media says we need to listen to Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci said it bought us time. It bought us time, according to Dr. Fauci. Are we not supposed to believe Dr. Fauci? Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi attacked President Trump for stopping travel with China. And you know, they revised when it blew up in their face, they revised the talking point. And they said, well, he should have stopped travel with Europe. The virus to New York, it, it came in from European channels. Well, we didn't know it was spreading in the wild in Europe at the time. The experts were saying it wasn't, but we knew it was in China. So he did that and they attacked him for racism. They're, they're essentially making the argument that the president can't win. The president did the right thing. They said it was racist. Uh, the president didn't do uh, what they didn't want him to do. And now they say he should have done that thing they did not want. I think he's got a compelling argument here now um, with the um, with, with with Joe Biden that Biden has been in Washington for 47 years. You're not going to go forwards by going backwards with Joe Biden. The president's economy, I mean, I think it was Rush Limbaugh yesterday did point out that we are now back to the best moment of the Obama economy in terms of jobs and revenue and income to the federal government from, from taxation through economic job growth, the stock market and the like. We, we are back to the best days of the Obama era right now. The president has a compelling message um, and I do think, I, I really do think that the president has an opportunity to say, 
that Democrats want to wreck the economy. They don't want kids going back to school because they want to hurt the president. I, I listen. We need to. Talk, we probably when we come back, we, we probably do need to talk about the school situation and, and what's going on with schools, and what do we do with schools. But I do think uh, that that there there are ways to get schools back, and I do think that there are people who don't want schools to go back uh, because I I do think if if they go back and people go back to work, that you are going to have a situation where the president stands to benefit. I mean, listen to Nancy Pelosi from yesterday. Madam Speaker, what about this advice that, that we've been getting from medical professionals who uh, point out that, that missing school for millions of kids, that means missing breakfast and lunch. Uh, schools also provide an escape for unsafe situations at home. How, how do we balance those needs with, with the safety needs of, of this pandemic? Well, of course, that is something we have always fought for. And it's so sad that for many of our children, their breakfast, their lunch and their food comes for when they go to school. And we have a a plan on how these kids, when they're not in school, will be fed and and the uh, mobile units going out. We've had this summer school in the past, not related to a pandemic, but we know how to get this done. But the fact is... It's not a question of balancing equities. It's about a question of crossing a threshold of safety. We cannot say to kids, well, go to school, you might get sick and take it home because they're the biggest risk. The biggest risk to the spread of the pandemic is opening up the schools in a way that is not safe. It's not safe. So if we're going to defeat this pandemic, we shouldn't be opening up to more arena to spread. We should use this as an opportunity for our children, put the resources in. We know what needs to be done. The resources are there to do it. And again, it addresses many disparities in our education system. And when the administration talks about cutting off federal funds, which they really can't do, the federal funds are mostly for children in uh, uh, economically disadvantaged areas, Title I, they're for children with disabilities, they're for homeless children, there are other things, teacher training and the rest. Uh, but they're hitting right again at the disparity in education when they say that. You have to wonder if they really do believe in public education. I, 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 we, we can stop there. That, that's, that's Pelosi talking. Uh, the biggest risk in the pandemic, reopening schools. She doesn't want schools to start again. Can I just say that we're supposed to follow the science? That's what we're told repeatedly. We're supposed to follow the science. If we're supposed to follow the science, the science from the countries that have studied it have shown that elementary school kids are not vectors for the disease. Now, high school kids are. Uh, There are problems with high school. But elementary school kids uh, who do need to be socialized and engaged, they're, they're actually, we know this now from Iceland that has studied it, Sweden that has studied it, uh, a couple of Asian countries that have studied it as well, that kids are not vectors for the disease. Elementary school kids, uh, sixth grade and younger, are not 
vectors for the disease. They're not spreaders of the disease. They're, they're not getting it. They're not infecting people. In rare cases, they do. They have compromised immunity, and even then you can wear masks. But I pity the teacher who's got to corral a group of third graders and have them wear masks. I mean, the fact of the matter is they tend to not spread the disease. They tend to not get the disease. So at least at a, at a minimum, why can't kids go back to school in elementary school? Now you start getting into seventh grade, you've got issues. How do you do it? Do, do you set up virtual options? I, I, I think you've got to set up some virtual options. I, I think you've got to allow kids who can't be in the classroom to participate um, but I mean, just, just, just take my family situation. My wife's got compromised immunity. We're nervous about sending our kids to school where you got a group of people, uh, who, who may not be engaged in, in personal responsibility to wear masks and stuff, uh, in the community who their kids come in and they've got the virus. It, it comes home with my kid. Um, there, there's a level of, of legitimate concern there. But for elementary school kids, there shouldn't be. We should be able to get them back to school. The most vulnerable kids, get them in school. The, the, I mean, that's what the science says. If we're to follow the science, the science says that there are ways to reopen, particularly elementary schools. There are ways to do it. We should be figuring that out. Instead, everybody wants to engage in the blame game right now. At this point, the blame game really isn't that helpful. So I put up this morning, you know, Barry Weiss from from the New York Times resigned and I put up a tweet this morning said I was was flattered to be the newest columnist of the New York Times. I'm really disappointed in the number of people who took me seriously. Um, There's no way I would work there and there's no way they would want me. Um, But I'm I'm stunned by the number of people who thought I was serious. I got to shift gears, though. I I wasn't even going to talk about this. This was not on my radar. Byron York just flagged this, though. This is actually this is uh, fascinating uh, into the mindset of the left right now, and I, I think it is overtly racist. Uh, it, it's this. This is this is crazy. Um, it, 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 it's I'm I'm stunned. The National Museum of Amer- African American History and Culture has put on a guide to talking about racist racism uh, and race uh, aspect aspects and assumptions of whiteness and white culture. White dominant culture or whiteness refers to the ways white people and their traditions, attitudes, and ways of life have been normalized over time and are now considered standard practice in the United States. And since white people still hold most of the institutional power in America, we have all internalized some aspect of white culture, including people of culture or people of color. Let let me, you know what aspects of white culture are? Get a load of this. Rugged individualism is whiteness family structure is whiteness having a nuclear family with a father and a mother that belief is white emphasizing the scientific method is white understanding history particularly the primacy of western history the the greco-roman history is white the Protestant work ethic is right. Religion, particularly Christianity as your norm or a single God concept, is white. Time, following schedules. Following schedules, that's what they say. Following schedules is white. Being oriented towards the future like delayed gratification. Uh, tomorrow will be better planning for the future. That's white. Holidays are white. 
Justice. Justice is white. The protection of property is a white idea, and competition is white. So basically everything that makes this country great is white. Um, belief in God, uh, following the schedule, using the scientific method. No, it, it's not white. Uh, have you ever been to Greece, you racist people? Uh, Greeks are not white people. And they, the Greeks, are the ones who came up with uh, the philosophical propensity to the scientific method and keeping schedules and stuff like that, the, the idea of justice. The Jews came up with with uh, a, a belief in justice and a God. By the way, uh, so is 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 being Muslim when you go to the Middle East, there is one God and his name is Allah and, and, and Muhammad is his prophet, so apparently they're white. That's... Crazy. See, none of none of this is real. This this isn't real. This this isn't this isn't real. This this is what they're pushing is communism. Uh, they want to dismantle Western civilization, and this is this is crazy talk. This this is genuine crazy talk. The the idea that uh, a nuclear family, uh, so are Asians racist, are Asians racist white people because uh, Asian societies overwhelmingly have two-parent nuclear households. A Asian families that have kids, uh, increasingly in, in like Japan and stuff, they, they've got a, a deficit in having kids. But in South Korea, in China even, in Taiwan, in Singapore, in Malaysia, overwhelmingly they have two-parent nuclear households. Are they racist white people? In Middle Eastern culture, two-parent nuclear households, uh, I realize polygamy is a thing there, but overwhelmingly in, in those societies, uh, you actually have two-parent nuclear households. Are they white racists? Because, uh, you know, I Islamic culture is science-oriented, uh, using the scientific method. Uh, I mean, it, it was Islamic society that brought us algebra. Are, are they white racist people? This this is communist nuttery. It really is over Marxism, and it really is racist. It is racist to believe that a two-parent nuclear household or a one-god religion is a product of white European society. That That is a racist belief. It's like Nick Cannon believing that a lack of mel melanin in your skin makes you somehow a savage. Yeah, uh, yeah. So... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm getting emails from a lot of you. Um, I, 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 I gotta, I, I gotta tell you, um, I am, um, I'm getting emails from a bunch of you about this, uh, the, the African American history museum in DC saying that monotheism is a product of whiteness that they, they actually are, um, saying that. And I, I assure you that it, it's not true. It's just, it's just, just, just bizarreness out there. Just, just weird. All right. All right. All right. Um, now joining me, uh, by phone as, as the president comes to Georgia today and, and we're talking law and order, which I mean, honestly, I, I, I think the, the president can win on keeping people safe and getting people back to work. Uh, Matt Whitaker is joining me, the former acting, uh, attorney general. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. I'm so happy to be with you today. So, you know, let, let me let me jump into this with you real quick. And and, and I, this is my apologies in advance for for I just saw Byron York put this out and I'm flabbergasted by it. Uh, but it directly result uh, goes to um, what I wanted to talk to you about. The uh, National Museum of African-American History and Culture has out this thing that they put out today on talking about white culture. And and I'm shocked to learn that 
emphasis on the scientific method, uh, the Protestant work ethic, having two parents in the household and monotheism, uh, and also uh, protecting private property rights and reliance on courts is apparently uh, white enabling white culture as opposed to actually what makes this country great. And it, it seems like the entirety of the Democratic Party is is being hijacked by leftists who have now invaded our museums and want us to know that if you have a concept of justice, uh, that, that somehow that's actually racist, which is just flabbergasting to me. I I have no I have no way to respond. I, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Those are the basic tenets of what has made America great and a leader in the free world uh, and a beacon of freedom where everyone wants to come and migrate. And so um, I don't know. I think I think. But you know, the bigger the bigger theme is exactly what you point out, which is that's what's it that's what's at stake. That's what you know. That's Joe Biden's America is what you're seeing play out in New York City. More crime, more death, more violence, um, and you know, uh, contrast that with what Donald Trump's offering is more law and order, uh, more safety, and and as and as we have law and order, I think that's when liberty and freedom can flourish. Yeah, you know, it, it seems like um, there's you've got to have some level of predictability in society for for commerce to work and part of that predictability is uh you know if you go to court you have fact pattern x y and z the outcome is going to be this uh and when we're we're no longer relying on the courts but the mob and and the opinionators to to keep your business from being canceled uh, you can't really have a not only culture you, you can't have commerce in this country and the democrats don't quite seem to understand that they're they're too busy rewriting what the free market is Right. It's it's rule of law versus the rule of the mob. And that's what is what's at stake. And I, you know, as a lawyer by training, um, you know, these these fundamental um, system of commerce, like you point out, that you can go to the courts for redress of if someone has, you know, breached your contract or violated your property rights or otherwise. I mean, without the courts and without the ability for them to enforce the law. Um, it, it will be lawless, and again, you'll see what's playing out in our major cities, uh, just in you know enhanced because the mob will decide whose business to burn down, mob will decide whose business to extort, and you know the mob will ultimately um, tear down uh, what makes America great and why we all enjoy living here and, and exercising our, our freedoms and rights. I, I'm. I, I, I don't even really know how, how to articulate this off the top of my head. Uh, I, I don't have any scripted questions for you. I'm just really stunned to see whether it's it's the Barry Weiss uh, resignation from the New York Times yesterday or the mobs in the streets shaking down businesses. And this even goes back to Proposition 8 in California where gay rights activists would show up at restaurants and demand that waitresses who, who gave money to support Proposition 8, the, the traditional marriage amendment down there, that they had to be fired if these people were ever going to shop in the, the – you do business at the restaurant again. And the Democrat Party seems to be captive to the mob these days. They, they seem to almost be scared of the mob like they want to placate it so it doesn't come for them. And I don't see how they avoid the mob coming for them. I mean, Joe Biden seems to be a placeholder for radicalism. Right. And, and the mob is actually a very small, radical, violent uh, group that uses intimidation and, you know, kind of tries to make themselves look bigger. But as you've seen in some of these people, when they're confronted, they end up just being cowardly 
and really uh, 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 have no principles or values on which they their movement or their uh, beliefs stand. And so you're right. I think Joe Biden is um, is just a vessel with which um, they see an opportunity to take someone that's not strong, that's someone that has never done anything for the decades that he's been in um, office and are going to use him as a uh, tool to uh, effectuate their their world worldview almost overnight. If you look at his two trillion dollar proposal to get rid of fossil fuels and to end kind of you know uh, American energy independence and and again undo some of the the things that that have made prosperity in America expand recently. I mean, I think Joe Biden's going to undo all of that and then some, but it's going to be in the name of. Um, uh, you know, equal, this 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 concept of sort of you know the, their version of justice, which is that you know equal outcomes, not equal opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you said that because it, it just seems like you read the Declaration of Independence, uh, we're all created equal, and the Democrats have taken created equal to demand equal outcomes, which I, I don't see how it's possible uh, w- unless you revert to some level of Marxism. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad you, you said that. I, I want to play you this audio real quick. Uh, th- this is Joe Biden. I, I forget who he's talking to. The Trump campaign sent this out, but you just listen to this. Uh, surplus military equipment for law enforcement. They don't need that. The last thing you need is an up-armored Humvee coming into a neighborhood. It's like the military invading. They don't know anybody. They become the enemy. They're supposed to be protecting these people. So my generic point is but that... we agree that we can redirect some of the funding? Yes, absolutely. One of the... So the, the police, he thinks, come in like an enemy when they're trying to keep people safe and that we actually do need to redirect funding after saying we don't need to defund the police. Um, I, I, he seems to think this is a winning message for him. This is uh, this is it's just not true. I mean, and and he knows uh, if he knows anything about law enforcement, he knows that up armored SUVs are not being rolled into neighborhoods unless there are you know high powered rifles being employed by uh, you know violent criminals, uh, and that the p- police deserve that type of protection. I mean, what we're really talking about are things like um, you know armor, body armor. To, you know, and those types of things that can keep our officers safe when they're being shot at. I mean, all you have to do is look at New York City and the recent rise in shootings, murders, uh, violence, and violent crime, and to know what Joe Biden's America will look like. It will look like it will look like our cities rotting from their core, at high taxes, uh, the the things that are causing Americans to flee. New York, California, and other high-tech states for places like Texas and Florida and Tennessee, uh, you know, it's going to—it's just going to continue. But unfortunately, uh, when when their worldview is employed across America, where do we escape to? <laughs> I mean, right. it, it's really—it's it's a frightening thought. Whenever you know, when everyone used to want to come here, um, and now they—they they want us to be just like every other country that these people are trying to to move here from, and it's—it's—it's. It's, it's, they, they just lack a, a, a vision of what America is and, and can become. And they just want us, you know, it's, again, this is Obama's eight years. We saw this. It's apologizing for what makes America great. And it is trying to take away all the things that have made us great for over 200 years. 
we had a situation in Atlanta, uh, here where I am last week, where the, the, the man Richard Brooks was killed in the, in Wendy's parking lot. They're prosecuting the police for murder inappropriately. I think, uh, the DA trying to get reelected. The mayor essentially hasn't stood by the police, uh, and protesters took over that part of the city where the Wendy's is. And a mother pulled off the interstate there, uh, with her eight year old in the car, tried to turn around, uh, to go the other direction. They Fire, the, the protesters fired shots, killed the eight-year-old. Everyone seems to be outraged. Uh, stuff like this hasn't really happened in Atlanta in the past, and it just seems like there's a message there for the Trump campaign uh, about these Democrat-run cities that have allowed lawlessness to take over, and that that is what I mean. These people, these mayors, are the people that the Biden administration would look to for attorney general and other appointments to try to govern and. and doesn't look like it's very governable these days. No. And I mean, unfortunately, Atlanta, um, you know, had, I mean, the, the events that led up to, you know, that gentleman being killed by the police, it didn't have to happen. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't have to happen that, um, you know, this, again, it, he didn't have to resist arrest. He certainly didn't deserve to be shot as he was fleeing, but he also, didn't you know and should not have pointed his pistol and right. taser at the police. And so and there's just so many facts and and it's unfortunate um you know what happened in that situation but you know this is where leadership and political leadership from the from the from the mayor from the city council and you look at places like Minneapolis again and all these other in New York City it, it is always these liberal mayors and liberal city council people that will not back and support the police and therefore the confidence of the police and the ability for them to do their job is lessened. And then you end up with innocent citizens like this eight year old being shot and killed uh, unnecessarily. And, and, uh, and then, you know, where's the outrage for that? I, I just feel like there's been so many unnecessary deaths in the response to, uh, you know, uh, these, these police, Killings uh, that you know, it's just a, a, a life for a life. It's just a, we're, we're you know the police. Everyone, it, it is, it's chaos, and it's and and everyone just needs to take a step back, take a deep breath, and um, work towards what we what we need, Eric, which is a more perfect union, and we always need to aspire to that, and we all, and we all we all have a role in that. Amen to that. Listen, Matt, thank you for taking some time out today. I, I appreciate it. Um, best luck to you out there on the campaign trail. I mean, there, there's a yeah. compelling message out there, uh, given the contrast with Biden on this stuff. I sure appreciate you. Yep, yeah, I always enjoy joining you, and we'll do it again. Thank you. Thanks very much. Matt Whitaker, former uh, acting attorney general uh, in between Jeff Sessions and, and William Barr, and he's now out on the campaign trail talking law and order issues for the president. It, it really is remarkable that I didn't get into this before I went on vacation. The Washington Post tried to fact check the president's claim that the the ten largest cities in this country are overrun uh, with crime and violence, and they're all run by Democrats. and And their fact check was literally that uh, nine of the ten are the city of Atlanta. Keisha Lance Bottoms is uh, it, it's a nonpartisan race, and I think like the Baltimore was a nonpartisan. They're all Democrats. But they tried to, to fact check and say the president was wrong, and they proved he was right, that all of these people are partisan Democrats. There is a really stunning issue there, and, and at some point, the Republicans really need to find a way to make this case to people that cities being run by Democrats are, are cesspools of crime. 
because you look at what's happening in Baltimore, you look at what's happening now in Minneapolis, you look at what's happening in San Francisco and New York, and now, unfortunately, even Atlanta, where I, I've I've thought highly of Mayor Bottoms. Uh, I, I think she's been better than Kasim Reed on a number of issues, but she is has clearly cited on the wrong side of politics on this. She doesn't have the police's back, and we're seeing what happens when you don't stand up for the police. This is not to say that all police are infallible. They're not. There are bad actors in the police force, just as there is in every office. But to label the police blanketly as bad is coming back to bite these Democratic politicians. And, and maybe people will wake up and realize that, you know, we really do need police and society. And of the two parties these days, there is a striking contrast between the one that has the back of the police and the one that doesn't. I'm still perplexed by who at the National Museum of African-American History and Culture thought that monotheism is a product of white culture. Muhammad is out there like, man, really? Allahu Akbar? Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, monotheism is, is a product of white culture, according to whoever wrote this at the museum. Following a schedule... Is essentially what this says is, is that not being lazy is white culture. And, and I, I hate to be that blunt for some people are going to be uh, offended by it. Uh, but essentially, if you are a productive human being who is not lazy, you're a product of white culture. Why do I say that? Because uh, if you plan for the future and you follow schedules and you use the scientific method and you emphasize the work ethic and believe that working hard is the key to success, you're white. That is absurdity, and yet this is being pushed by a major national museum. It's it's absurd. Um, it, it it's it's genuinely crazy that they would do this, that they would say this, that they would claim this, that they would publish this, that 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 someone would look at this and not think this is where. And can I just say? So there are a lot of people out there, I'm realizing, who hate Tucker Carlson's guts. And they believe Tucker Carlson is a racist who peddles racist things. The reality is that Tucker Carlson is not a racist. Tucker Carlson recognizes, though, that there is an element in society right now that believes he can get away with saying patently racist things about white people and then claim, well, you, you can't be racist unless you're white. Let, let's go full circle. Let me play this. This is the actor, Nick Cannon, talking about whiteness. Then let's go. Let's let's go to what it really is. Then when we talk about the power of melanated people, when we talk mm -hmm. about who we really are as guys and understanding right. that our melanin is so power and it connects us in a way that the reason why they fear black, the reason why they fear is because they the lack that they have of it. So then when you see what, you know, Dr. Uh, Francis C. Wellesley talked about is that fear in that 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 just uh, genetic that annihilation efficiency mm -hmm. of when you have a person that has ha, has the lack of pigment the right. lack of melanin right that they know that they will be annihilated so therefore however they got the power they 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 have the lack of compassion mm -hmm. that mel melanin comes with compassion melanin comes with soul that mm -hmm. we call it we call it soul we soul brothers and sisters that's the melanin that connects us. Right. so the people that don't have it have are are a little, and I'm, I'm gonna say this carefully, <laughs> are a little less 
and and and, and where the term actually comes from because I'm bringing it all the way back around okay. to, to Minister Farrakhan to where Minister they Farrakhan may not have the compassion or the the when they were sent to the mountains of Caucasus when they when they didn't have the power of the sun that was that the sun then started to deteriorate mm -hmm. them so then they're acting out of fear they're acting out of low self-esteem they're acting out of a, a deficiency mm -hmm. so therefore the only way that they can act is evil the only way they can they, they have to rob steal rape kill and fight or flight okay. in, or, in order to survive exactly so then these people who didn't have what we had and when i say we i speak of the mm -hmm. melanated people right melanated they had people. to be savages they had to be barbaric they had because they're in these nordic mountains they're in these rough uh torrential environments mm. so they they're acting as animals right so they're the ones that are actually closer to animals they're the ones that are actually the true savages and then they built up such this this i don't want to say warrior but they built up such this 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 conquering mm. uh barbaric mentality uh, this is, this is like the KKK claiming that black people were subhuman. That's, that's what this is. And, you know, again, um, if you weren't here in the first hour, you know, what's her name? Um, Nicole, Hannah, whatever her name is, uh, from the New York times who rewrote American history to make it all about slavery for the 19, for the 1619 project. She has argued in college. She wrote to a newspaper, published a letter that uh, Africans came to the Western Hemisphere before Europeans did. And the proof of this is the collaborative nature of building the Aztec pyramids, that clearly uh, the Africans helped them build these pyramids. She wrote that while in college. And I, I got to wonder if she and Nick Cannon uh, would would share similar thoughts on this because it's all from the same thread of mythology. Uh, it's the sort of stuff that Louis Farrakhan peddles, and none of it is true. And typically you can get away with this on the left in a way you couldn't get away with this on the right. A, a, a non-white person can get away with it in a way a white person can't. Are we all going to hold each other accountable? Are we all going to hold each other to the same standard? Maybe. I don't know.